Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
right, welcome back to the Heavy Metal Mayhem Radio Show. We started things off here tonight with our good friends from Toxic. The band is over in Europe for the first time in, in a very long time, and they have a whole bunch of shows scheduled. They were at the Kit Festival this weekend, and it's looking great for those guys right now. Uh, we had Josh on here about a year ago. He was a fun guy to talk to, and uh, he sent me over some of the brand-new tunes that they were working on back then, and there's going to be a new Toxic record this year. So uh, keep your eye out for it. Maybe we'll have Josh and Mike, the singer, come back on the show uh, when the album comes out towards uh, the fall. I believe I'm not too sure. But we got a great show for everybody tonight. Brandon Bauman from Diamond Lane will be calling in in about a half hour or so around 6.30. And in the second half of the show, Bob Mayo from Wargasm. So stick around. Tommy is uh, taking the night off. He's sick. I'm just getting over it right now. I still have a little, uh, little bit touch of the flu and a little cold. And I'm a little stuffy here, and I apologize for the way I sound. I just cannot kick it. This is such a brutal winter we had here in New York. But uh, like I said, Tommy is out this weekend, so let him rest up. And I'll hold down the foot on my own here. But let me see what I can do for you right now. How about, let me get on a couple of newer tunes right now. Uh, we had Kate the Pet from High Rocks on a few weeks ago. The new record, Immortal Legacy, is just amazing. So we're going to get on the title track from that record. And uh, maybe we'll play that new Slave song, and we'll talk about it a little bit after that. Got a couple of new tunes by Raw Power, uh, Home Martyr, quite a few new so uh, let's start off at Hyrax. Here's a mortal legacy.
Slayer, Implode, and right before that, brand new Raw Power, one of my all-time favorite hardcore bands from the 80s, man. Screams from the gutter was such a kick-ass record. Even my old band used to do a cover of one of their songs, State Oppression. They were so great. Uh, and that was called We're Moving. Uh, I, you know, I, I just completely lost the name of the new record. Uh, what the hell was the name of it? Tired of Furious, that's it. I mean, they kind of moved really far away from those early hardcore days. They're more of a metal-sounding band now. You can still hear that little punk tone in the guitar work by the band. Like I said, it's, it's a really good record. And right after that, we play Slayer. That's your new single, Implode. And I tell you, if I wasn't looking at the name of the band and the song up on these big monitors on my switchboard, I would have forgotten who it is already. It's just not a memorable song. It's very forgettable. And if that's what they're putting out, like the show with the new lineup of Slayer is like, I can only imagine what the rest of the album is going to sound like. I mean, I, I just, I don't know. I mean, they, it's just not Slayer, but a lot of bands today just seem to have forgotten how to write music. I mean, there's no more catchy lyrics. Or, I mean, I don't care if you're playing death metal, extreme metal, power metal, hair metal. The song has got to be catchy, no matter what you write. The riff has got to be memorable. There's got to be a verse and a chorus. You know, it just seems like it's one four-minute blur of shit that I couldn't even tell you what the hell it was all about. So if that's like what the forward is, like what the new Slayer is going to sound like, I don't hold that much hope for the rest, like I just said. And I've been feeling that way for years about Slave. It's like nobody could talk bad about Slave for some reason because they're like the last true metal band from the 80s that really didn't like, you know, wimp out or change their style. But they're not writing very good songs. I mean, they're kind of, they've kind of hit Metallica mode now where, you know, after Master of Puppets, I mean, Metallica just stopped writing good songs after that. I mean, even though they were, got more popular with the Black record, I mean, they just forgot how to write good songs. And Slave has been in that mode for quite a few years now, it seems. And it's a damn shame. I just, I don't know. I mean, I can say maybe after so many albums, you're running out of, like, original ideas and riffs. I don't hear other bands that have been around just as long, if not longer, that are putting out kick-ass records that are writing songs that are just, you know, amazing. And, I don't know, these bands just don't have it. You know, then again, Metallica, after they kicked Dave Mustaine out and they ran out of the tunes that he wrote and Cliff Burton died, the band was doomed anyway because nobody else could write a song worth shit in that group. Everything that good came from that band came from pretty much those two guys musically, in my opinion. So, who the hell knows, but... We'll wait for the whole record to come out before we judge it, but I don't see them putting forth their worst song that they wrote for the new record. Who the hell knows? I guess we'll have to see. All right, Brandon will be calling in about 10 minutes or so. We'll get on one or two more tunes until then. Uh, there's a lot of new records. Uh, Loudest has a brand new record coming out. The Sun Will Rise Again, and it sounds great. I heard one or two songs off of it, and, you know, Loudness put out a record every year. Some years they put out two records. So, you know, the 80s, I mean, the 90s didn't slow that band down and the Death of Metal like that came after that, they just kept plugging away at it. So definitely pick up the new record. Uh, a lot of new records come out. We'll get them on as they come. New Hellstar, we'll have James on the show again probably uh, in June, maybe the end of May. I'm not too sure. We'll see when he's doing press for the record. And I uh, just didn't see from Percy left Rat again. Uh, it's probably only temporary because as soon as his solo records don't sell, or nobody's showing up to the solo concert, so he can't get on to any more festivals that people care about with him in it. He'll hook up back with Rat again, and we'll see what happens. Even though if you've seen some of those last uh, videos of Rat performing live with the band, I guess from a few months ago, or maybe it was the festival some last song, he can't sing at all no more. I mean, at least not live. On record, anybody could do anything, but live, he does not have it at all anymore, so... Who knows what happened there? It's usual bullshit. The band's not active enough for him to be saying. The band's saying he's a prima donna. It goes back and forth. You would think like after 30-something years of doing this, you know, they would just get together, write good music, go out and do the tours, and then go to all separate ways if they don't really get along with each other. But, you know, considering there's such a revival right now in metal and, you know, these bands have a second chance of like making some money and getting out there and playing, especially bands like Rat, who, you know, who were well-known back then. 
It just seems stupid to be fighting about the same nonsense you fought about in the 90s, the 80s. It just doesn't make sense to me. It's, it's all a bunch of crap. All right, well, let's get back to a band who is not around anymore and wasn't around for a very long time, but put out a great demo tape back in the day. This is Sneak Attack, Ultrasonic Metal. Yeah. 
All right, that was Ulysses Simon, The Resurrection, coming out of San Francisco. You know, the band only had two demo tapes out back in the day. I believe one was 85 and the second one was in 87. But they gathered such a cult underground following that, that's held up till today. And I think it wasn't until 2003 they finally got together or some record company did and decided, you know, let's remaster those demo tapes and put them out again. And that's what happened. So, I mean, they're available since 2003 on, on CD, which is good. But the band did get back together, but we haven't really heard much about them. There was a demo put out in 2012, and uh, really haven't heard anything about the band. I tried to get a copy of that, but I was just not able to. Um, I'm pretty sure there's a couple of tunes up on, on YouTube you can check out, but I'm going to reach out to the guys and, uh, and try to get them on the show. It would be great to talk to them about everything going on in their world. Uh, but I believe we have Brandon on the line right now. Let's find out what's going on in the world of Diamond Lane. Brandon, how are you, buddy? I'm doing fantastic. This must be the big cheese. Yeah, that's what they call me. At least my wife does anyway. I'm doing great, man. You're probably doing a lot better than me. You're out in sunny California. You got it, brother. Actually, on set, we're filming a music video for The Enemy right now, so it's just oh, a man. gorgeous day out here. Yeah, I'm, that's, that's good to know. Well, I mean, you know, the band's been around for quite some time now. You're not new to the scene, but you got a brand new record coming out, and I think this kind of takes the band to a whole new level, this album. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. You know, we all kind of feel the same way. You know, the stars really aligned on this, and I feel like we now more than ever have the perfect set of ingredients to really begin the takeover, so to speak. I have to agree with you. Well, it's called Terrorizer, right? Yes, that's correct. And, you know, even though it has those elements that we had on the last records, it seems like, you know, it's also a new sounding also. You guys kind of like, you know, jazzed it up a little bit. I mean, is it something that you want to keep doing where you, like, want each album to be different than the one before it? Or do you want to make everything kind of, like, sound like the same to keep fans, you know, because people have a short attention span today. They don't like when fans change things up too often. Sure, sure. You know, people get attached to a certain, you know, expectation of how things are delivered. But with, for us, you know, we really just want to make, the music that feels good to us, you know, without trying to chase a certain dragon, so to speak, but staying true to what we believe in and enjoy playing, then I think that's going to come out the most genuinely. And that's what people will connect with the most. So, you know, for us, especially with Terrorizer, we kind of just said, you know, forget any of the conventions that are in place. Let's not necessarily aim for something, but, you know, do what gets us fired up. And because of that, you know, it was a very freeing situation. And I think that we really came together with something excellent here. So we're all very stoked on the record. Can't wait to share it with everyone. Absolutely. And you know what's funny? It's like anytime you see, oh, I see a video clip of you guys, or I read something about you, or even look at pictures, you always look like you're having fun and like you're enjoying the shit out of this. Like, you know, it's like if it ended tomorrow, you'd have no regrets. Well, uh, without a doubt. And that's, uh, that's how you got to do it. You got to leave it all on the table. I mean, we take our music very seriously, but we do not take ourselves seriously at all. It's just sheer comedy when we get each other together. It's a total blast being in Diamond Lane. Yeah. Well, you know, look, this is, this is definitely a rough business. There's no doubt about that. I mean, this could chew you up and spit you out real fast. When you sit back and say, I'm going to be in a band, and I'm going to do whatever we have to do to make it to the top, and then, you know, you get involved in it, and you see, like, I mean, what's involved, like, dealing with promoters and record labels or trying to get your music heard. You ever just sit there and say, you know what? Fuck this. We got to give up. Well, you know, certainly there's shades of that. Uh, I don't think you can just turn off the switch, turn off the calling. So you definitely have to have thick, thick, thick snake skin to be able to weather the storm because, yeah. let's be honest, the majority of the time you're just getting dumped all over, and that's how it goes. It's the highs and lows of rock and roll, and that's just the way it goes. 
Yeah, that's true, man. Well, like a band today, I mean, do you have to, like, focus, like, strictly or, or most of your promotions with the Internet? Like, you know, everybody's on Facebook talking about everything today. It just seems like it's the only place left. Or do you still kind of get out there and, like, go door to door and put the flies up on the pole and on the car windows? Or is there any other way of getting the, the, the word out on the band besides the Internet today? You know, the Internet is obviously a quintessential component. You have to. You're either going to play the game or you're just going to get buried alive. Uh, the yeah. fact of the matter is, though, we're big on – it's all about human connection. We hit the streets. We talk to people. We meet new people. We make new friends and establish new relationships. You know, there's so many bands who just kind of walk around, aimlessly hand out a flyer, and nine times out of ten, that's just going to get crumpled up and thrown in the trash. The flyer is the last thing that I hand out. It's just about yeah. striking up genuine interest in something. You find common ground. You create mutual respect, and it's a win for everybody involved. So I would definitely say that we're all very much people person. And, yeah. you know, that's one of that's one of our strong suits, I would like to think. I'm sure. Well, it's on the internet. You know, it's just there's so much going on. I mean, so many bands, that they're trying to get the name out there and to get the band heard. I mean, what, what can you do? What what do you do? What does Diamond Lane do to make yourself stand out amongst the crowd? Because you definitely got a great sound, and you got so much going on for you that should be heard above, like, you know, 101 other bands that are doing the same thing that just doesn't have that driver that interest in their music. What do you do to make yourself stand out above the rest? Well, you know, and again, I think it's leading with a genuine foot forward and being yourself because if you're not trying to be anybody else, you're just being who and what you are. And that's what's going to win the war. Cause Hey, there's only one of me. There's only one of Jared, Frank, Ray, and Dave. Yeah. And that's the way it is. We can't try to be anybody else. So I think that us leading with ourselves and the best intentions in that message will be more easily heard than if we're trying to come with something contrived. True. I mean, you know, you know, you go back to the '80s. You know, when when heavy metal hard rock was at its pinnacle and it was the heyday. You know, you couldn't wait for that record to come out. Today, the record part of it, it seems like it's secondary to the live show because that seems where everything everything seems to be out today is the live show. It's how the bands get out there, they make their money, they sell merchandise. How important is the record compared to the live aspect of being in a band today? Well, I think the record is uh, vastly more important in the essence that. If people aren't liking the record and they're not liking the music, why the hell are they going to spend the money to come see you live? So <laughs> we kind of we look at the albums as advertisements for the shows, you know, because if the album's not blowing the doors down, then they're not going to give a second chance live. And fortunately for us, I think live is where we really shine. Uh, you know, capturing a great record, that's one thing, but having a band that can pull it off live, that's a whole nother beast, and that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, you're the first one to say that, and I have to agree with you because it's like, ah, oh, the records aren't that important. I'm like, but if you're a band, such that like people are haven't heard of yet, and you're trying to get the name of the band out there, if the record's not important, how are people gonna know who you are? Like, it says, I'm not gonna exactly. go to a show to see a band I ever heard of before. And, you know, so if I have the rest, oh, these guys are good. I want to go see them play live. You're right. It yeah, is an advertisement, and the record really since day the beginning of time has always been nothing but an advertisement to get people to buy it and see the band on tour. Without a doubt, without a doubt, yeah, it's the, the main component for the success, you know, of the live performance. So, yeah, yeah, that's, that's kind of how we treat it and approach it. Yeah, well, you guys are based out of California. That was always a rocking, you know, scene. Is it still pretty good out there? Is, it, is the club scene still lively? Is there still a lot happening? You know what? There's a lot of opportunity for success out here, but I will honestly say, been down in LA for the past couple of years, uh, the Sunset Strip scene has changed drastically. Uh, you know, a lot of the main clubs, you know, ownership changes hands, places go under. Uh, but, you know, I think that's just kind of the nature of the beast and the product of the times that we're living in, period. Uh, I think there's nice little sex of scenes and bands that, you know, really blend well together. 
and you know have a great core of fans that support each other. Um, you know, but like any place else, it's going to have its pitfalls as well. So we, on the whole, yes, there's a lot of opportunity in great places out here in California. I think it's a you know very supportive scene in general. But at the same time, you know, LA is a melting pot. People have short attention spans. There's a million options and a million different things to do on any given night. So how are you going to stand out above the crowd? How are you going to have your voice be heard instead of just lost in the tidal wave? Yeah, that, that you said it. I mean, people have short attention spans today, and that's the biggest problem. Like, I don't. They put any. It's like in the old days when a TV show came right? They would give the show a year or two to grow, get people into it, before they canned it. Today, if you're not into that show, the first episode, they drop it and they get rid of the TV show. And the same, it was going on with music. People are like, well, I'm not crazy about this song. I'm like, well, there's nine other songs on the record. Why don't you give them a listen? And you might like yeah, one. Right? It's you know, it's like, well, I got that on iTunes for 99 cents, so that's it for me. Those days to get the whole record and listening to it. And li- I mean, hey, there were Judas Priest records I listed that didn't grow me for a couple of plays. It happens. You got to get into it. You got to give it a shot. Absolutely. You got to give it a chance. And, you know, it's funny. I've uh, been on a vinyl kick lately. You know, so out digging for records. And, you know, I can see why, you know, artists back then, the 60s, 70s, and 80s, became so worldwide just enormous because. It's all about the listening experience. Oh, we need yeah. to go over to Jimmy's house. He's got the cool pad. Let's put on That's the record right. and really you know, vibe it out instead of, oh, I'm going to fast forward to this part, skip to the next song. No, 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 no. There was none of that. And that's how those records were made and intended to be played. So I think a complete body of work is the best way to find a you know, representation of the band instead of just one song. I mean, you've got to give it a shot. Absolutely, I, I know that's why I said like with your record, I put the first song, I'm like, oh, that's pretty good. And as I go through it, I'm like, wow, these songs are getting better and better. And then you go back to that first song, I'm like, wow, this song is amazing. You know, sometimes it takes a little while for something to grow on you. I mean, not everybody has the same likes or interests with every single song, and you're trying to appeal to a broader audience. So I would say, give it a shot, play it once, come back to it a week later, you know, and give it another shot, and you, before you know it, you've got a new favorite band out there. Without a doubt, without a doubt, you know, every time you're listening to it with a fresh set of ears, you get a, you know another perspective on it. Absolutely. Well, what are you going to do now like, to get the band out of California and to get around the country? It's easy to say, you know, come to New York, come to Michigan, go to Florida. It's not as simple as that. You know, it's hard. But how do you get the band out on tour or to get the band on the road, even if you start branching out a little at a time, you know, getting out to the Midwest and then to the East Coast? Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's the key right there. Uh, you know, traditionally, we've done a lot of the Western region stuff, and I would love nothing more than to be able to come out to the East Coast, New York, you know, the breadbasket, the fantastic opportunity. It all just comes down to aligning financial situations that are going to be solvent where you can, you know, cover your expenses and not just totally go in the red. Uh, you know, and that's the challenge to find that. So with the new record, you know, we just want to continue to reach a new audience. And, yes, we will slowly start to do the crawl out that way. Uh, you know, it's going to start just crossing the state. You know, we do Vegas, we'll get Arizona, New Mexico, work our way to Texas and continue to you know, try to work those markets and build up fan bases so you can support the staying on the road. That's the goal. We yeah. really want to bring our music to the people. You know, in a perfect world, we could get dialed in, you know, uh, as a support act on a sweet tour package. You know, that would be huge. Um, you know, because I know we have you know, something very potent to offer. Yeah. Well, like I said, getting on a tour package with another band that can really take you out cross-country and expose you to a lot of new fans. I mean, is it as simple as, like, you know, having your management or somebody get in touch with a band? Or even with the tours, is like you have to buy onto the tours today, like with a lot of the pay-for-play at the clubs? You know what? There is a lot of pay-to-play. There is a lot of buy-on situations. And, you know, that's not necessarily the route that we want to go. Uh, I think it's about... You know, you need to establish those relationships that are, you know, built on mutual respect. You know, we get our music in the hands of somebody, you know, say it was Zach Wild, for instance. 
good game. You know, I'm really digging these guys. You know, let's take them on a run with BLS. That would be huge as opposed to, you know, oh, you know, we're going to go out on, you know, this little jaunt here and we're going to, you know, pay the 10, 20, 30K to, you know, have that, you know, quote unquote privilege. You know, while that would give you exposure, you know, you're still just, you're digging the hole before you've even had an opportunity to step foot out of your hometown. Yeah, there's a lot of better things you could do with that kind of money than to get out and play in front of sure. people. And, and it's still potluck because you don't know how it's going to be. I mean, I, it always bothers me today. You have a lot of, like, big bands. I know they don't have as much control over who goes out with them as, you know, they used to. But, you know, I remember back in the day when, you know, a band would go out and play, and they would take a lot of, like, up-and-coming bands and give them a shot. And you actually know those bands were the next headliners in the arenas. And I think that's sure. really important today, that, that the bands that are established and can draw a large crowd – start taking out a lot of local bands because that's the only way these bands are going to fulfill this void when these guys are done and they're retired. You know, I want to see Diamond Lane at Madison Square Garden one day. It's not going to happen oh. if these guys will give you a chance to get out there and, and get the word heard. No, I agree. And, you know, you know what kind of peeves me is, you know, Motley, they're doing their farewell tour, and it just it boggled me why they didn't take a new band out, you know, for a couple weeks at a time to over yeah. the course of the run. They're exposing dozens of new bands and kind of passing the torch to the next generation. You know, that's the challenge. Without that vehicle to be put on a national stage, I mean, who's going to who's gonna fly the flag when these guys are, you know, dead and gone? Absolutely. I, I, I say the same thing. If Fozzie didn't take Motley Crue out in the 80s, they might not be as big as they were today. That broke them. The same with Metallica. You got it. And a lot, and a lot of the bands. I remember seeing Bon Jovi up for the Scorpions. They were nobody back then. A year later, they were headlined. You got it. That's, that's the way it exactly. happened. You, know, you got it. You got to hand it down. You got to hand it down to the next bands to give them that shot. Like you had it, you know. It's a game changer, and you know, if, yeah. if we can align ourselves with an opportunity like that, then that would just be so huge for us. Uh, and I believe that the best way to achieve that is just again lead with a genuine foot forward. Be yourself. Keep it honest and real. And that's just you know always the best results. Absolutely. You know what? You guys have the music. You've got the attitude. You've got the image. You've got the show. You've got the stamina. You just need that break, and I think it'll happen for you guys because it's, it's like all the stars seem to be aligned with everything else. You just need that one helping hand. I think you guys can really take off. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate the support. You know, it's, it, it takes an army. It takes an army to, you know, make something happen, especially in the world of today where there's just a million people searching for the same thing. Yeah, I know. Well, let's talk about the new record. I mean, did you guys do this on your own? Did you finance it by yourself? Uh, yeah, we we're the DIY kings, uh, just through and through. We've always been, you know, kind of self-financed internally, you know, managed, so to speak. Uh, we did this record with Reverend Tom Chandler, who we've done our past two releases with, uh, and you know, he's got a great studio up in Montrose. So uh, you know, it afforded us a nice, relaxing environment to be able to freely create but uh yeah to answer your main question totally self-financed we've never had a lick of an investor so you know it's nice that we can you know do well on our own so you could only yeah. imagine with the right team behind it you know it could go global absolutely you know brandon one thing about your music i couldn't pinpoint any kind of genre style to it because it just is like you guys have the whole evolution of rock and roll heavy metal wrapped up into every song I mean, do you want to be like defined as like a certain type of band, or are you happy where people just say, you know, man, I could dig this. I'm into like, you know, rock. I'm into hard rock. I'm into metal, and everybody kind of finds something they can like about your music. 
Yeah, I can really dig that. And, you know, it's funny that you weren't able to pinpoint it because that's always been one of the most difficult things for me. You know, people go, oh, you know, what's your style of music? It's like, well, uh, you know, we have elements of hard rock, classic metal, you know, with a fresh modern twist on it. And that's, yeah. that's what I really enjoy about it because, yeah, maybe there is a little something for everybody. You know, if you dig rock and metal in general, you're going to like Diamond Lane. And if it's not your thing, it's not your thing. But, you know, I think we do ourselves a service by, you know, having that options, And that's just kind of us wearing our, you know, influences and what moves us on our sleeve. Absolutely. Well, what do you have coming up? Because I'm going to have to let you go in a few minutes because I want to get on a few tunes off the new record for people to hear and let them go out and know what they're going to be buying because they are going to buy it because we don't download anything here for free. We buy everything on this show. So I dig what do you guys it. have coming up? I know you have that. a show coming Thanks. up real soon, but what else you got to happen with the band? Yeah, so we got uh, the release show May 10th at Troubadour. We're going to do some Southern California stuff. We're rocking the Anaheim House of Blues over Memorial Day weekend. Uh, we got some Bay Area stuff getting booked up for July up in Northern California. Uh, and we were actually just selected by Fox Sports National to be the artist of the month of May. So oh, they're nice. going to be playing ter- Terrorizer on every sports outlet, every sporting program. So it's going to be a great vehicle for added exposure for us. But it's just going to be keep chomping at the bit, putting it on the grind. You know, we'll do music videos and more promo and great things for the record. And before you know it, we'll be back in the studio doing it again. I can't wait, man. You know what? I know you're going to get here to New York soon enough, and we're going to party when you get here, buddy. Oh, I look forward to it. You keep those beers on ice. You got it, just for you. <laughs> I appreciate that, Mike. All right, Brandon. Anytime, buddy. You take care. Now, I'm going to get on some tunes off hey. of uh, the new record Terrorizer. Fantastic. I really appreciate you having me on today, and you have a killer, killer rest of your Sunday afternoon. You got it, buddy. Enjoy the video today. All right. Thanks, brother. Cheers, Big Cheese. Take care. Mr. Brandon Bauman from Diamond Lane, great new, I shouldn't say new, they've been around for a few years now, but they got the third record coming out, Terrorizer, in less than two weeks, so definitely pick it up and support these bands, because if you want them in your area, the only way you're going to get them there is by buying their records, so here's Life to Lose.
All right, that was the deep with Spellbound. That's off the band's latest demo tape. Uh, the, most of the guys in this band are like the original lineup of the band Deep Machine, the new wave of British heavy metal band. They were in that lineup around 82, 83, I believe. Uh, and they put the deep together, you know, because uh, other members are using the name Deep Machine. But these guys sound great, man. I'm hoping that they can get the, you know, turn this into a record or get something going with it because it's just a real got a great groove to it, you know? So definitely check that out. They have a Facebook page. Go to The Deep, and you can find out what's going on with the band over there. All right, Bob Mayo from Wargasm. He'll be calling in about 15 minutes. Actually, we're going to give Bob a call in about 15 minutes or so. We'll get on a few more tunes until then, but right now, we have to check in with our very own Mr. Ken Pierce to find out what's going on in the New York City area for the upcoming week. Kenny, what's going on, my friend? Well, hello, and howdy-do there, Mr. Mike, and all the listeners out in heavy metal Mayhem Radio Show Land. It is I, your metal maestro on the scene, giving you a call once again to tell you what is happening this coming week. Man, I can't believe that April is already over. Where is 2014 going? Well, let's get right down to the nitty-gritty. Tomorrow at Irving Plaza, that's Monday, you want to unsheath your sword and get ready for Pagan Fest as the great Corpaclani is joined by Teresa's Sonic and Varg and Winter Hymn. That's going to be a great freaking show uh, of rousing Viking and pagan metal. I cannot wait. I'm going to be there with um, with loincloth on. Yeah, anyway. On Tuesday, The Sound of Contact is over at Santos Party House. That's a progressive rock band featuring Phil Collins' son. That should be very interesting. Wednesday, you have to roll the dice to see what you want to do first because Tesseract is over at Irving Plaza while Saliva is at Santos Party House and at the same time, Primal Fear is at Stage 48. If you don't want to do any of those things, you can head to the movie theater and see Super Duper Alice Cooper, which opens up in theaters everywhere for a limited run engagement. Thursday brings us into our merry metal month of May. Uh, we'll start off with the progressive rock sounds of Blackfield. That is a very special show because it's going to feature the last appearance of Stephen Wilson from Porcupine Tree and his, of course, solo projects uh, with the band that particular night. Uh, and that is all I have for uh, the early part of May. So if, if I'm missing anything, guys, just please give me a private message to the Piercing Metal Facebook page and I can look into any other things that I'm missing. And that is all I have for you guys this week. Uh, as always, you can find Piercing Metal on Facebook, on Twitter, and on Instagram. I look forward to talking to you guys next week and seeing all the listeners out and about at the shows. Cheers. All right, Kenny, you take care, buddy. I, I should have checked with you. I'm going to be going to the press uh, release uh, thing for the Alice Cooper movie. I have to find out if you're, you're going into the same theater, and maybe we'll hook up that night. All right, Mr. Ken Pierce from PiercingMetal.com. Check out his website. He's got a lot of great stuff on there. Also, if you're in the New York City area, like I said, just go look at his calendar, and you'll find out everything that's happening for the month. And we're going into the month of May here. Like you said, I can't believe we're already five months into this year, and we're still freezing our asses off here in New York. We just cannot get any warm weather. Nothing is sticking. We get it for a day, and then it gets cold again. So I'm ready for the spring. I'm ready for the summer. The hell with the spring. Let's just get right to the summer. All right. Next up, some Minotaur, Incubus. Die. 
This is Debbie Gunn of Sentinel Beast, and you're listening to Heavy Metal Mayhem with a Big Cheese. Oh, I'm going down. 
Oh yeah, Terror. Assassin with Holy Terror and right before that, Sentinel Beast with the song Sentinel Beast. It's a shame that we had Debbie on this, Debbie got on the show, I don't know, in 2008, I think 2009, and she said they were working on a brand new Sentinel Beast record, but it never materialized. I don't even know what's going on with the band anymore, but it'd be a shame if Death of Death is the only record they ever got out of the band. You know, Barry Fisher, who was the original guitar player in the band, uh, put out an EP a couple of years back uh, with, the, with his band, Fischl's Beast. And I guess it was some stuff he never got out of his system from the Sentinel Beast days. And it was a really good record, but I think it was just a one-off for him. All right, right now, I'm going to get Bob on the line. But instead of boring you people, I sit here trying to figure out how to dial numbers from a computerized switchboard like always. We're getting on a song off the Maniac demo. You know, this is the name of uh, Wargasm. Before they were Wargasm from the Rainbows, Kittens, Flowers, and Puppies demo. Tune from that. And like I said, I'll get, uh, I'll get Bob on the line. We'll get the interview going. So here's Suicide Squad.
All right, pre-wargasm with Maniac and Suicide Squad, and Bob has been waiting patiently on the line for the last couple of minutes. Bob, how are you? Great, great, great to hear from you. How you doing? Uh, you too, man. Listen, I, I go back to you from that demo tape when I was a tape trader back in the 80s, and I came across that one. I've been a fan since then, so it's, it's a long time coming. Oh, great to hear, and I'm glad to be here. Uh, anytime. Well, what's going on with Wargasm today? I mean, because I, I know the band got back together, broke up a few times over the last few years. Is it still active right now? No, no, and I wouldn't say that we got back together and broke up a few times. I mean, we did two reunion shows uh, over the last 10 years, but that's not really the same as getting back together, I wouldn't say. True. We just, uh, we, um, the, we did two reunion shows for uh, a friend of ours who runs a, a nonprofit organization called Rockstars. Uh, it's a music education nonprofit, and uh, they were both fundraisers for him. Uh, that was the reason why we got back together then. Uh, but the but the band never really reformed. Oh, okay. Did you ever think about it? Or was, or was it not even like an issue or an option today? Uh, today, it, it's as unlikely as ever. Yeah. Um, you know, Rich is working with Josh Groban now full yeah. time and has been for a couple of years. So that's uh, he's a, he's away from home. He's on the road with Josh for most of the year. So I don't I don't see the you know the kind of commitment of time that it would take, and I don't want to just single him out either. I mean Barry and I both have our own lives going on too, and there's really no way at this point I don't think that we could dedicate the time and the effort that would yeah. be required to write a new record and record it and tour it. I just don't see it. Yeah, well, um, you know you've been, you've been busy. I mean, with a lot of other stuff too, musically over the years. Not, I mean, you were in Malaya Rage for quite a quite a long time, and then you know you have your own little thing with the Robot Monster Army, which I got to tell you, I love those two records, man. They're such a throwback, like the classic, you know, rock days of the seventies. Uh, they're absolutely amazing albums, man. I, I wish you'd actually put a whole band together around and, and get out and play. Yeah, well, you know, Paul Warbrick, who did the vocals on most of the two records. Uh, he's bugged me a couple of times to at least do one show. But, you know, again, we're all in our late 40s, and uh, just the time that it would take to get something like that together with our careers and our families and stuff is just not really feasible. But thank you for saying so. Those records were real personal to me, and uh, I always love when I hear from people who get a kick out of them and enjoy them, so thanks. Oh, it's just classic. I mean, you know, it's just classic rock. I mean, do you ever think you would do another one? I know it's more like a studio project for you, but do you think you might you have enough material? Or are you interested even, like, putting one together? There's a couple of songs left, and actually, I mean, I don't want to say too much because I don't like to talk about things until they're ready to roll. Sure. But, uh, but there is probably going to be another release this summer from Robot Monster Army, yeah. Oh, nice. Oh, that's going to be great. Wait, let's head back to the early days, start there, we'll work our way up, if you don't mind. I mean, you were born, right? After you were born, you became a musician. But, like, you go back to the days of metal. I mean, the band started out as Overkill. You didn't record anything under the name Overkill, did you? I think Maniac was the first time you recorded? That's right, yeah. And that was a great demo. I mean, it was classic in the underground scene. It still is. But then it turns into Wargasm. And it just seems like the band took off after that. I mean, you had like this cult underground following. And, and a lot of people always consider Wargasm like this ultimate thrash band. And I, I, you definitely had thrash in you, but I always felt there was so much more to the band than just being called a thrash band. I mean, I, you know, I grew up in the 70s and 80s, so I had like that new wave of you know, British heavy metal in there, and I had a lot of the old stuff mixed in with Wargasm. 
Uh, did you ever feel that way, or did you just consider yourself like a pure thrash band? No, um, uh, you know, you hit the nail right on the head, because we came up as writers uh, and as a band before thrash existed. We were writing songs, and our ba- main influence that the three of us had in common was the new wave of British heavy metal. That's what we were yeah. really into when we started to write songs. And, uh, you know, we, we kind of emerged right alongside thrash, and we did pick up some thrash elements. But I think you're right. If you listen to the three records we did, there's thrash pieces and, and maybe whole thrash songs, but I, I never thought of us as a pure thrash band. I, I have to agree. I mean, I, I think, you know, bands that, when bands started getting labeled and so many genres and subgenres started coming into the scene, I, I thought it was so detrimental to the, the scene in general because people just didn't know where to go anymore. Like, if you were a fan of Flay and Metallica, God forbid you would listen to a song by Dokken because you would be crucified and, and vice versa. Like, it just kind of divided up the whole scene. Yeah, I mean, today, too, what we used to call metal back in the 70s and 80s is now hard rock. Yeah. And what kids are what kids are calling heavy metal today, really, I, I, I don't know what it is. It's, it's extreme. It's so extreme. I mean, the more that the blues was erased from heavy metal, the, the, least, the less interested I became, really, to be honest with you, because it came from the blues originally. Sure. And the blues thread, the blues thread is in there. Right up, probably, you know, I think there's bands that still have the blues thread run through the music. But in general, as a genre, the blues is completely gone from today's heavy metal. You're right about that. I think the kids today and the younger kids getting into the music and playing it and writing it today, they don't realize where where it stems from, where it comes back from. To them, it goes back to the stuff from the 80s or even the 90s, and that's what they base as like, you know, their influence and what the sound derives from and not where it really came from, like you said, which was, you know, rhythm and blues. I think, it, you know, music needs to evolve, and I get that, and, and I'm glad that there is still heavy metal. But I, for me to relate to what's happening right now, it's a little bit tough. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I've not been a fan of a lot of the stuff that's been going on over the last 15 or even 20 years, you know, but I, I'm glad that, you know, all this stuff is recorded and we always have it to go back on anytime we want. And the nice thing finally is that, I mean, one of the biggest complaints they have of people is that they can't get a hold of the early wargasm and stuff. It's almost impossible. I mean, unless you go on eBay or Amazon and you pay a small fortune, you know, for like your vinyl records, uh, you can't get it. But you guys finally put a co- – I don't know if you put it out or somebody else did last year, the Satan Stole My Lunch Money uh, compilation. Did you guys do that or was it done by some record company? Because finally people are getting to hear the old tunes again. No, we did it ourselves uh, oh, because, because nobody else would. So we did it ourselves. Yeah, that's the – the first and only piece of orgasm music that was completely 100% band only. That's no record was- label involved, no management. Yeah. Well, that's good. I mean, why play around is like, you know, a, it's like a classic album. Even I have to tell you, I mean, Suicide Notes, I think it's my favorite album out of all the ones you put out. And I think it just got, it kind of got lost because of the time it came out. You know, it was kind of rough in the mid-90s. But, I mean, I love the record, but people always will go back to why play around. And it makes no sense to me why a record company would. I mean, back then, I think it was Rock Hotel, a profile you want. I, I can't remember. But uh, why somebody wouldn't re-release that record is beyond me. Well, I think, um, I'm not sure what year it was, but whoever owned Profile sold everything to Arista Records. Okay. And and Arista had no interest in any of the hardcore or metal. So the guy who 
sold the company still holds the rights to those records like Leeway, Cro-Mags, um, Murphy's Law, Orgasm. He still owns the rights to them, but he's just not hes not in the music business anymore, and he really doesn't have a lot of interest in pursuing putting them out. We've, uh, yeah. we've actually been in touch a couple of times over the years, and we've had lawyers and friends look into what it would take to try to retain, you know, reclaim the rights to the material and put it back out. And each time we've looked into it, it's just been a legal nightmare and a very expensive one. So really it's up to, I hate to say it, but it's really up to one man. And that man isn't very interested in doing anything about it. So that's why we kind of took it into our own hands last year and got all of our demos together, took them into the studio, cleaned them up as much as we could, and put them all together on one album. Most of Why Play Around is actually on there, most of the songs. Yeah. So, so you know, that's as close as we can get to re-releasing that stuff. I, I always find that to be so incredible. I mean, a lot of bands are in the same position as you, and they've gone and they've re-recorded the old songs just to kind of get, like, the rights to them back again in, in that way, I guess. But it's not really the same. You know, you can't recreate a vibe from, like, 85, 88, 80. You can't recreate that feeling that you did when you wrote those songs, but I get why they do it. And it's just bothers Is there any way that these songs ever revert back to the owners themselves, or is it just like... He has it, and that's the end of it. Well, we always own the songs themselves, but those recordings are actually owned by that guy. Yeah, that's incredible. It's some, you know, a lot of bands today complain that the industry is not like it was back then. I mean, I have to tell you, it's a whole different business, you know, in the, you know, today as far as the record business goes. But maybe it is better in a way where at least bands, when they put out stuff today, it's their, they own it. You know, there's no having to worry about who owns the rights to the recordings and not getting them or putting them out again. I guess that's the plus maybe of the business today. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, you know, we did the record ourselves. We are the record label. So you can really, you can get stuff out there really cheaply and really easily. The only problem is the label has a lot of clout and money to promote the band and advertise it where, you know, somebody like me or another indie band who's recording their own stuff and promoting it on the Internet really can't compete with the big bucks that the major labels have. So you can produce product, but getting people to be aware of it and to listen to it is a little bit difficult. Yeah, that is the hard part. But, you know, you know, Bob, I remember back like when, when White Play Around came out and you, it was on profile, you guys were having trouble with that label even back then, if I remember. You guys were, were not happy about being on them. And it was a lot of years before like Ugly came out. Yeah, that's true. I think the problem with Profile was that the year before they signed up with uh, Rock Hotel, which is the subsidiary that owned all the hardcore and the metal bands, a year before that they had a number one record with Run DMC. Yep. <laughs> and, and you know, they didn't have to put that on the radio. They didn't have to put that on tour. So they didn't spend any money on it at all, and it still hit number one. So I think the philosophy with those guys was, hey, we, we can – we don't have to spend any money on these bands. We just throw them out there and see what happens. And that's what they did with the, all the uh, hardcore and the metal bands. They just threw it out there with no promo, no tour support, no money involved at all, no videos. And, not, you know, we just sank. The only reason we got on the radio was because Rich spent like 48 hours straight calling every single radio station that was listed in CMJ and introducing himself to all the DJs and he just hyped us up, and he got us on the CMJ chart for a couple of weeks. We were number four underneath Anthrax, Ozzy, and Metallica. Yeah. That was the, the biggest way we had any impact at all. 
uh, and that was with absolutely nothing to do with profile records. That was just us working it. Yeah, you know, but people forget back then everything was kind of do it yourself. I mean, it seems like it's it's that way again, you know, today. Uh, but when you do get signed to a label, you kind of that's what you do expect. That's part of the package. You expect tour support, you know, promotion. And when you don't get it, I can imagine it's got to be the most frustrating thing in the world that you finally get signed to a label. There's a little bit of money put behind you for recording an album, and you know you're not doing it on yourself in a four-track recorder in some local studio. And then, and then it hits you like you know this is a business, and it's not the right business for us right here with this label. It has to be disappointing, you know, at that point in time. It was. It was a rude awakening because. Chris Williamson, the guy who ran Rock Hotel, who's technically the guy who signed us up, he had to do whatever his owner said. But Chris Williamson was a, a live music promoter. He, he promoted concerts in Manhattan for years, at the Ritz specifically, Studio 54, all those places. He was the promoter for all that stuff. So he was into getting the bands out there and having them play, and he promised us tour support. And that's one of the reasons why we picked his label over a few others that were interested because they thought, well, this guy's going to put us on tour. And when push came to shove, he went to, to get the money from Profile to get us on the road. And I mean, Profile said, no, there's no budget for that. Hmm. So then we were like, hey, what, did, what have we gotten ourselves into here? And how do we get out of it? Yeah. It, it must have been difficult. I mean, like I said, it was five years before Ugly came out. I'm sure a lot of that had to do with Profile and what you were going through over there uh, before the record came out. But when it does come out in 93... The landscape of music, I mean, at that point, it hadn't really, you know, gone south yet, and, you know, grunge kind of didn't take over, but it was in the air about that time. Did you see the changes coming by the time that record finally hit? Yeah, we, we wrote a lot of that stuff right after Why Play Around kind of died down, but it wasn't recorded or released for three or four years after that. So basically, when the record came out, you know, we were happy that we finally got another record out there, but in terms of what was happening in the you know, with music tastes and stuff and how metal had kind of evolved. It, I think it sounded a little bit dated. It was just a couple of years too late for the music on that record. I mean, I stand by it today. I love it, obviously. But um, it wasn't exactly what was red hot in the market at the time. So we've kind of found ourselves back at square one trying to prove ourselves again. Well, you know, two years later, like I said, Suicide Notes come out. It's, one of, it's my favorite record by you guys. And, and uh, I don't know how you, like you say, dated, not dated. It just fit in more with what was going on, but yet it still had that classic wargasm sound to it. Was that an intentional thing that you wanted to try to do to kind of keep up with what was happening at the time? Or was that just where the band was at? Because like you said, the record before that was kind of written years before. It's really where we were at. Um, I think the tour we did with Biohazard in Europe was really had an influence on us. And... Uh, I think you can hear a little bit of that kind of groove metal on uh, Suicide Notes and some of the songs. So, we, yeah, we were, we were out there and we were touring a lot and we were influenced by the, uh, the music that was happening. But I think there's enough of the old school orgasm on there, too, that it keeps it grounded. It wasn't something intentional. We actually wrote that record. We wrote it, recorded it in six weeks. So... We didn't have time to pre-plan anything. You know, what is this record going to sound like? Where do we want to go? We just had to get down and get busy and get it done. So that's just what came out. Yeah. Like I said, I don't know how you feel about it, but I thought it was one of your best records. I mean, I just love the mix on that album. I think it's, in a way, it's my favorite one, too, because I was completely amazed we were able to write that quickly and get it done, and it came out as well as it did. But, you know, 
why play around obviously has a real special place in our history and in my heart. It is that first record. It's one that most people heard for the first time of the band if they weren't like into the demo scene and got into the demo. So I get that. But it seems like not long after Suicide Notes came out, we didn't hear from the band anymore. I mean, was it just out of frustration? Was it like just, you know, personal stuff between the guys going on? Or was it just, did you feel like the band just ran its course at that point in time? Well, we were actually broken up before that record came out. We <clears throat> we recorded it. We delivered it to the label. And, you know, things were looking really good for us over in Europe. And not so hot back here in Boston. I think the band had kind of run its course here in Boston because metal had really moved on in terms of popularity here. But in Europe, every time we went to Europe, we were getting bigger and bigger. But as the label actually asked us to relocate, to Germany at one point because they thought it would be better for us to be working over there wow. uh, more often. But anyway, we sent the record over there and had high hopes for it. We knew how good it was, and we knew that things were building for us over there. But we found out that tour, there was no tour support, no video support. All that stuff had been cut because they had just acquired the licensing to some bigger metal band, I can't remember who it was, but they spent a lot of the other band's budget on acquiring this other major band. So we were right back where we were at the beginning. It had almost been 10 years since we got screwed by Profile that way, and now we were about to get screwed the same way by uh, our current label. And we really, really couldn't imagine going through that all over again. I mean, between Why Play Around and Ugly, it was a five-year battle yeah. with Profile to try to get the respect and the treatment that we knew we deserved. And all of a sudden, it was happening again in our 10th year. We just kind of looked at each other and said, we just, we can't do this again. You know, what are we going to do? Uh, ask for a buyout that we can't afford? Are we going to take the um, label to court to try to get off? Are we trying to get released from the label and go into another five-year battle? We just can't do it. Yeah. So I, I was the first one to step up, I'll be honest with you, and say 10 years, 10 years was good enough for me. I'm not going to go through that again. It was a great run, but I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, like you were saying, like you might have ran your course in Boston. People forget, this was like, you know, the pre-internet social, I mean, we had internet, but I mean, it was like the pre-social media days where people really relied on the internet as their sole source of promoting a band. You kind of had to make your bones like where you came from, you know, and then kind of branch your way out. Everything was like, you know, everything was putting up flies on poles and it was all hand done back then. It was like today where you put a song up, you click a button and people from every part of the world could hear that song and know who your band is. So if you didn't really have, you know, the ability to keep or maintain your band like in your hometown, you know, people don't realize how difficult it is at that point in time. Yeah, I think we, we hit the wall in Boston. We got as big as we were going to get. And th then it was time to move on nationally and internationally. And that's when we got into the big, long, protracted battle with Profile. And we really couldn't function anywhere else but Boston because there was no budget to get us out of there and get us anywhere else. So I think we were just kind of forced to overplay Boston. And the music moved on. The crowds moved on. The next generation, the kids came up, and they were listening to different stuff. So that's why we focused on Europe after that. But really, I think the cause of, of um, I mean, I've heard a million people over the years tell us that we were never as big as they thought we should be, that we never really got our due. 
and we should have been bigger, and they're all surprised that we weren't superstars. And the real reason why I think we never reached our full potential was because of that four- or five-year period where we were fighting with profile. We really lost a lot of momentum. A lot of stuff normally organically would have happened to us within that time frame that just didn't happen, couldn't happen. Yeah, it's hard. People don't realize how much goes on behind the scenes. Like, oh, why don't you, you know, how come this didn't happen? How come this? It's easy to look back on it now and figure out why. Uh, but when, like I said, when that many years gets wasted, like especially like during the height of, the, you know, the metal scene, it's kind of hard to come back for that for anybody, I think. Yeah, well, I mean, at least we have, I think we've got three solid records to leave as Absolutely. a legacy. And I think anybody who's seen us play live back in the day hopefully has fond memories of our live show. And uh, I just prefer to think of it as, you know, it was 10 years out of my life. It was the greatest decade of my life. We had so much great experiences and met so many cool people. And it was fantastic. I don't look at it negatively. I'm not bitter. Um, the, uh, things could have been a lot different had the, you know, the dice rolled a different way. But that's just not how it goes. So I just encourage people to, you know, don't just listen to what the media is feeding you. There's a lot of cool stuff out there that you maybe never heard of yet. You just got to dig a little bit and do some research, and there's a lot of great stuff from the last couple of decades that you may have missed. That, that's so true. And you know, like you said, even though Wargasm was over and done with at that time, you know, you weren't, and you kept going on, and you kind of hooked up with another Boston band, Malaya Rage, for quite a few years after that. Actually, um, I did one record with them, and probably a handful of shows, maybe six or eight shows. But that was about it. I was, I'm not even sure that Tony Nichols would even consider me an official member of the band. I stepped in when they had bass player issues a couple of times and helped them out a few times over the years. But I don't know if I was a, an actual member of the band. I, I am on the Death Valley Dream album. Dream record, yeah. I, I, I did write um, probably half the lyrics on that record. But again, I was just, they asked me to help them out and I helped them out. But I, don't, I wouldn't consider myself a a member. Not that that would be a bad thing. I think yeah. they're they're a great they're a great band from our era and they're all great guys too. Yeah, and they're still going at it too. I mean was was there anything musically you did after Wargasm that you considered like yourself like to be your main project? Or did you just kinda of bounce around? I bounced around a lot. Um I played bass with Gangrene for a while, just live, no studio work. Um I did the stuff with Malaya that I did off and on to help them out. Um I was in a band called Decon for a while with Eric Saylor from Stompbox and a couple of other guys that were local, but we never recorded anything. There was a drug issue in that band, and it never really got anywhere. Um, that was it for, for a long time until I found myself with the, the means to record myself. In my own home, I demoed about 50 songs in one year just by myself with a drum machine and a guitar. Uh, computer, and those demos turned into the two Robot Monster Army albums that you mentioned earlier in the interview. Yeah, good stuff. I mean, you know, technology today is just incredible. I mean, you can do everything, in your, like stuff that would cost you a fortune back in the 80s. You could buy one machine today, keep it in your house, and do everything on your own. I mean, was it hard to adapt to the new technology compared to the way, you know, things were done when you were younger and first recording? No, I mean, it's a lot easier now than mixing a record now is a completely different animal than it was back when you were using tape machines and a lot of the mix moves were done live. It was crazy. I can't even believe that we did some of the stuff back in the day that we did with the equipment that we had. So it's almost effortless now 
and it was an awful lot of work to get something right back then. Yeah, you know, like you know, you have a lot of bands today. Like they have members all over the world. They just exchange MP3s, put songs together, record, and you know, they do it for, like I said, a machine in the house. And yeah, you know, going back to the Ampeg tape days when you had to have the reels and record on there, and I, it must have been a real pain in the ass trying to match things up and get, like you said, get certain things accomplished on there. Where today with the technology, it's just so simple and easy. You can literally be a one-man band today, <laughs> do everything on your own. Yeah, yeah, that's what I did, and uh, you know, I think I think the Robot Monster Army records sound like a real band. I hope they do, but it's really, it's basically me and a couple of my friends just kind of masquerading as a real band. But the the theme of the whole thing was that it was a a late seventies, early eighties actual band. So I mean, it's tough to it's tough to use the technology that's around now and make it sound authentic, but uh, I think we did. It has a great vibe to me. Like I said, it does. It brings me back to that, to that era, that 70s and 80s era. That's why I really dig those albums because there's not a lot of bands or musicians putting stuff out like that anymore. And to me, that was like the heyday of music. I don't care what, what style it is. And everything, they, I mean, even if you go back to the disco, the rap, no matter what was done at that time, it was just great compared to the shit that a lot of bands are you know, putting out today. Well, I'm going to sound like an old man here, but a lot of the metal that I hear that's, that's uh, released nowadays I mean, the drums just don't sound like drums, and the guitars just don't sound like real live guitars coming out of amps. Everything sounds so processed and digitized. It, it's really unappealing to me. It doesn't reach me at all. I want to hear that a musician is actually playing that instrument, and maybe the band even played together in the same room at the same time at one point. That would be nice. Do you think it takes away from, the, like, like a band that's playing, do you think it takes away when the bands don't rehearse, practice, work out songs together in, in, in a rehearsal room, as we're, like I was saying before, where we, they just send MP3s back and forth? Do, do you hear the differences? Because I hear it when I hear a record. I can tell. And it just doesn't have that cohesive vibe to it, like when bands aren't together. Or like bands that play all the time, I mean. Not like when they do, like, a project and they exchange the files, but a real band, like when four or five guys don't get into a room together, I hear the difference. I, I, I don't know if you can hear it, but you can definitely feel it. You, you feel it. That's what I, I meant up. to say, yeah. Yeah, the, the vibe is completely different. It's almost like you're just listening to commu- computers communicate with each other, and it doesn't reach you. It does, just doesn't touch you. It doesn't get you, you know, it doesn't raise the goosebumps. Like when a real band with real people actually are working themselves up, playing their instruments together, and creating something out of nothing organically like that, you can't. You can record that, and you can simulate it, but you can't really do it unless you really do it the right way. I, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, Bob, I only have like ten minutes left in the show, and I want to get in a couple of t- uh, tunes for people to hear by you. But I listen. I do appreciate you talking with me today. Hey, when the new record comes out, man, you got to send me a couple of songs, and I'll get them on. Uh, I'm looking forward to hearing the new uh, stuff by Robot Monster Army. It's going to be great. Yeah, we'll definitely hook you up. And uh, anybody who's interested in anything Morgasm on Facebook, that's the place to go. Uh, I'm there too. Barry's on there. Uh, Rich is on there occasionally. But trust me, he's so busy with, with his current stuff, it's it's kind of crazy. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so we can still be reached and this, the music's out there still. Uh, just get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, That sounds great. Hey, Bob, thank you very much, man. I appreciate you talking with me today. Thank you, Mike. Have a good one. You too. Take care.
All right, Robot Monster Army with Flame On. We've got a few minutes left in the show. We'll close out with a Wargasm tune. But I want to thank my guests tonight, Brandon Bauman from Diamond Lane and Bob Mayo from Wargasm. It was great talking with them. And don't forget, this Thursday at 12 p.m. EST on the Metal Matinee, it's Cinco de Cowbell. We're bringing in the month of May with another show of all cowbell tunes. Don't forget to tune in at 12 p.m. EST. And, man, I lined up a great bunch of guests for everybody in May. We're going with classic old school metal for most of the month. Uh, next Sunday night, Mike Vescara from Obsession will be calling in live. Eric Wagner of The Skull. At least we're hoping so. This is like the third time we had Eric booked on the show, and uh, he keeps forgetting to call in. But we're going to remind him. As, actually, I reminded him about 10 minutes for the show the last time, and he still forgot to call in. But we'll remind him again. Also, Weapon UK, the new wave of British heavy metal band. I spoke with the guys this past week. They got a brand new album out. Danny, Jeff, PJ, and Ian. We'll have them all on here. So we got a jam-packed show of guests next week. I don't know how much music we're going to get on, but don't forget to tune in. It'll be great. And uh, like I said, throughout the month of May, we have uh, – who else we have lined up? I have so many guests. We have Mark Starachi from Crocus coming on. Ray Bell from Toxic Shock will be back. They just put out a new EP, so they want to talk about that. Uh, we have uh, Rudy the White Shark from Ostrogoth calling in. And I'm working on Sid Iron, Iron Angel and 220 volts. We just haven't confirmed what days they're going to be on. But I will get that all worked out before the end of the month. And like I said, so many other great guests. Michael Alvarei from Leatherwolf. Just so many out there. And we'll get to them all over the course of the month. All right, like I said, let's wrap things up today. We'll close things out with a little wargasm. I want to thank everybody for listening and hanging out with me for the last two hours. And I'll see you Thursday at 12 p.m. for the Metal Matinee. Here's some bullets and blades.
best heavy metal anywhere. BlogTalkRadio.com and Heavy Metal Mayhem. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.